Thank you, choir. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day and this weekend. It's been a sweet time, and we just thank you for uh, this day, being able to recognize our graduates. And we just pray for them, that you would encourage them, as Andrew has prayed, and Lord, just show them um, your unfolding plan for each of their lives. And God, we pray that you would, um, through your word today, remind all of us that uh, you have given us something to do, as well as people that um, a way to be, you've given us a task. And God, we pray that we could uh, embrace that, pursue it with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Bless now your word for a few moments and the meal that's to come with our graduates afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a great weekend. We had um, about, I guess, 500 people come out for the picnic yesterday, which was great, and nobody got hurt. Uh, one, that was the biggest concern I have in those events. And then it's been great this morning recognizing our graduates and also just a wonderful time of uh, worship through song, and we appreciate the work of our of our. Uh, Choir and our orchestra, our music ministry, and they recorded an album this week, and that'll be coming out uh, next uh, probably fall, I guess. So, and I think that's one of the songs on it. So you'll be uh, be glad to purchase that. I know. I think it's going to be like uh, about ten thousand dollars per album as we think about <laughs> think about building a building coming up. So, um, so be saving your your nickels. William Carey is known as the father of um, modern missions. He lived 1761 to 1834. He was a Baptist from England, and he spent most of his adult life in the nation of India. His life is worth studying, and I commend to you one very good book about him entitled A Faithful Witness, The Life and Mission of William Carey by uh, Timothy George, the book's been around a long time, and Dr. George is a Harvard-trained historian and was the dean of the Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham. It's a great, great book. William Carey's life is a great template by which to think about another aspect of what we believe as Baptists in our True Line series. Currently, we're looking at what our lives are to be after we're converted, how God commands us to live as His people. Not options, but things He commands us to do. We're drawing upon the Ten Commandments and then looking how those commandments, all but the Sabbath, are repeated in the New Testament and built upon. And God wants us to grow up in Christ, and that is His goal for us to become like Himself. He has most clearly shown Himself to us in Jesus of Nazareth, and so we are to grow to be like Christ increasingly over our lifetimes. Today, I'm going to go a little off track from where we've been because uh, the next commandment would be, um, thou shalt not commit adultery. So I'm going to go a little off track and jump ahead for a moment to talk about the fact that God not not only has a vision of who we are to become, but He also has a plan for what we are to do. That is, He has prepared for us to engage the world in a particular way in our lives. And so this message on this Graduate Recognition Sunday is looking at what our Baptist Faith and Message expresses about some of the central matters related to what God has called all of us in this room and who's watching online as believers to do. And so the title of the message is In the World on a Mission, 
And our text will be out of Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus has a design for how we are to live. Yet, as we live here and we think about this, he is telling us, that we're not to be an island unto ourselves, a holy huddle withdrawing from a dangerous world. Rather, as his people, his church, we're to be a people who are into the world without being of the world, and we have an assignment as we go. And Jesus summarizes that for us right here with two very common items, word pictures that he was familiar with, his culture was familiar with, our culture is familiar with, Two household items, salt and light. These were items, again, he and everyone in his world, they were familiar with. Jesus would, as he was growing up in the home of Mary, he would have seen Mary, right, using salt in food preparation around the house. And then as the day would end and it would begin to get dark, he would see his mother or Joseph take something and light the candles to light up the house just as you and I today will flip on a switch, salt and light. We're still very familiar with that. And so, in short, Jesus is saying here that we as his followers have a twofold assignment in the world. One, he says, we are the salt of the earth. Now, salt in that day, as it is today in some circumstances, was used as a preservative. And I think that's really the main thing Jesus is talking about here. A salt was used to retard decay in meat in particular, in the fish and beef and other types of meat. Even today in Kentucky and, and in other places, but I'm familiar because I lived in Kentucky for a number of years, pork is preserved with, with the use of salt. And we call it country ham. If you go eat up here at Mama Penn's and you order ham, they say, you want country ham or you want city ham? <laughs> I don't like country ham. I tried it. Somebody gave me a huge one one year for Christmas. I thought I was going to thirst to death when I took a bit of it, right? But in Kentucky, you know, if it's done properly, preserved with salt in that way, this meat will last for a long, long time without any refrigeration. So it retards the decay of the meat. And in Kentucky every year, if you ever go to their state fair, it's a great event. They have a wonderful state fair. And most years, uh, they auction off uh, one of these hams. Usually a bank or somebody with a lot of money buys it, and I think it goes to help charity and things of that nature. But this is the 2014 ham with a blue ribbon on it that auctioned off at the Kentucky State Fair uh, for $2 million. Well, that's pretty good. Must be a pretty good ham for $2 million, right? <laughs> Now you think about that. So they auction these things off. And as we live out our lives with our distinct ethics that Jesus gives to us in the New Testament, how it calls us to live, 
And as we share with the world the truth of God, we can help stem the rot in this world. The church has to speak up in relationship to the decay. And the church has to model a life that's different than the decay that's going on around us. So we are not called the honeypot of the world. We are called the salt of the earth. And so we speak the truth in love, even protesting with our words the rot we see in the world around us because we love people with the love of Christ, whether or not they are believers, and we want them to have the best life of flourishing that they can have here. Then also Jesus says that you are the light of the world. That is, we're called to be a shining light in a world that is full of darkness. That's why he uses that metaphor. It isn't just that we carry the light, though. He says here that we are the light of the world. And so we bring light to the dark world as we proclaim and share the truth of the gospel with people. And as we live lives devoted to truth and beauty and goodness. And in hearing Jesus' words here, he says, you, he uses the pronoun you are the light of the world. And in the original language, is placed in an emphatic position. As though Jesus is saying, you alone, my people, are the salt of the earth. You alone are the light of the world. If you are not going to be salt and light in the world, no one else is going to do it because nobody else has the life of God living in them through the Spirit of God. And that's our mission. You alone, as my people, are the hope of the world. You know, our statement of faith captures some of that calling and again, I encourage you to pick up our little Baptist faith and message. It talks about part of that idea of being salt and light when it talks about the Article 9, the kingdom of God, says that Christians ought to pray and labor that the kingdom may come and God's will be done on earth. So we're not just saying we believe that Jesus asked us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy what will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Part of our task is salt and light is to work to see that the will of God begins to break in upon this world because life is better as people live under the will of God and we want to see things come to the fruition that uh, we hope and pray they will. Our article 15, Christians and the Social Order. In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism Every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn, as we saw last week in that message, and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. But then listen, it goes on to say this. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. That is a huge vision. That is a God-sized vision for all of us who are followers of Jesus. So the church is in the world, but we are not of the world. And we as believers are always distinct from the world, but we're always to be engaging the world. We're not to pull back from the world. He says not to associate with people who call themselves believers and don't seek to live by the ethics of Christians. But he says those who are lost in the world, we are to engage them and reach out to them and we're to walk with them, to seek to be the salt and light in their presence. 
And so we are a people in a world on a mission. You know, as we have gathered here today, we are marking a time of transition in many lives through graduation. This is a huge transition in the lives of each of you sitting there. We are going through transition with people moving in great numbers in our nation right now. And we're seeing that right here in Little Anderson in our church with people walking through our doors, moving here from all over the country. We have many in our church who have uh, come from a lot of different places, and I've met a lot of different people. It also, for some of you, is a time of transition that some of you are retiring, and your daily circles are going to change. Some of you are starting new careers in education and training, further training. Some of you are entering new jobs, as Andrew mentioned, someone starting a new career job tomorrow. And you're going to be engaging the world in a way many of you, that you never have before. And I want us to remember this, that life will always be transitioning for us as human beings and as people who are seeking to follow the will of God. And we must always be seeking to realign our lives to the central purpose. No matter where I go, no matter what I'm doing, I have a high calling through Jesus Christ, and I'm always reorienting my life to the idea that I'm to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's our biggest assignment that we are given in this world by God himself. And so we must always be moving back in that direction, taking that as our north star to realign ourselves. So if you start to college this fall with a new group of people in your life, new opportunities, new temptations, all of that, you must process in your mind and your heart who you are and your identity must be in Jesus above all. And how is God calling me to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world right where I am? Some of you are retiring and you are beginning to have a new routine in life. And you're going to be meeting new people, maybe at the Y as you try to get in shape now that you've retired. Right? And you're going to be up there at the front lobby drinking coffee at uh, 7.38 in the morning. And are you thinking about this when you go down there to work out your muscles and to drink coffee and to meet new people? How does Jesus want me in this circle now to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Some of you are starting new jobs. And you may be in some profession. You may be a surgeon, a lawyer, you may be in law enforcement. Your biggest question when you get up and you start to go to work and you start to live in that realm, in that world, is how is Jesus wanting to use me now to here in this place and among these people to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world? That is our mission. And so in just a few moments here, I just want to share with you a few words of direction and how to do that and draw a little bit upon William Carey's life to remind us of how this works in life. So first of all, if we're going to live this way, we must keep embracing that vision. We must embrace that vision in our life. So Jesus used these very two common things. Easy to remember, right? Every time you go and you pick up an apple and you salt it, or cantaloupe, but you're not supposed to put salt on cantaloupe, I'm told, but I put salt and pepper on mine. But salt, right? 
You're reminded, I'm to be salt. Every time you flip on a light switch, turn the lights on your car, pick up a flashlight, light a candle to blow out birthday candles. What a beautiful, beautiful picture Jesus has given to us to remind us, remember, I'm the light of the world. So we must keep embracing that. That's what Jesus has called every one of us to be and to do, no matter where we find ourselves And no matter what we find ourselves doing with this vision, you alone are the salt of the earth. You, my people, are the light of the world. You're called to be the aroma of Christ wherever you are, a representative of the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven as best you can in your life. An instrument to help slow the rot and the decay in the world by your life and by your words and a reflection of the light of Jesus in how you live and in the message you bear. Never, never allow anything or anyone to diminish that vision in your life. You and I are called to that by our Lord. He is our Lord. This is what He has said, I want your life to be. This is what I'm calling you to do. If you're my disciple, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We must embrace that every day, preach that to ourselves every day, be reminded of it every day. And so William Carey, he was raised in a good Anglican family in England, that's Episcopalians over there. His father provided well for his family. And um, William, he loved the outdoors. William Carey loved the outdoors. He was always exploring. He'd take his sister Polly with him exploring, and they were always collecting bugs and leaves and rocks and bones, and his little room was turned into sort of a veritable, like a, sort of like a lab at his, at his house where he lived. He had birds and other types of collections. And so it looked like his life was going to be one that was going to be an outdoor-type life, maybe working in that field, And he loved that with all of his heart. But you know, he developed allergies, horrible allergies to many of the things that he encountered outside. And so when he was a young teen, his dad helped him get an apprenticeship to learn how to make shoes out of leather. And he always described himself as a cobbler. I want you to remember that God sometimes turns our lives in directions that we don't expect. He might have thought he was going this way. And God said, I'm going to let this come into your life. And you said, would God ever do that? Paul said, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And I asked him to take it away three times. And he said, no. He said, my grace is sufficient. And he said, my strength is going to be made perfect through your weakness. God's going to work through your weakness. And so God turned his life. His dad got him an apprenticeship. And you have to trust God when he changes that direction. And so, from 14 to 18 years of age, he mastered that trade. And by the time he was 18, he was able to support himself in that work. And through this era of his life, William Carey would hear that he needed to truly place his trust in Jesus. He was raised as an Anglican, but he hadn't trusted Christ. And the guy who worked with him was a sort of a Baptist, and they got into a lot of debates about believe, but Carrie came to realize he didn't know Jesus. He had never really been born again. And so he trusted Christ as his Savior. 
And he was saved. And he would then leave the Anglican church, and eventually he'd become a Baptist because he got convinced that the Bible taught that only believers should be baptized, and the only way you should baptize them is dunk them underwater. So he became a Baptist. It became apparent that God had gifted William with the ability to learn languages. You know that every one of us in this room and watching online, we've been gifted in different ways. And we believe as Christians that we've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to accomplish these things God has called us to do in the world. And he, he had a gift for languages. He, he only went to school till he was 12 years old. And then he ended up in that apprenticeship. But he had a gift for languages. He taught himself Latin. And then while he was working on those shoes, reading books while he was working on shoes, he taught himself during that time there to, to, uh, to he learned Hebrew, Italian, Dutch, and French. He had, I think, what the Bible would call the gift of tongues. He also had a passion to learn about the world. He loved geography. He loved studying about populations. God may plant things in your heart, passions in your heart. Don't ignore those passions that are there. It may not be fully tracking and maybe where you're going in your education, but there's something He's put in your heart that you have a love to do. Don't ignore sometimes that God may be prompting something in your life, taking up a new direction in life. After his conversion and marriage in his early 20s, he became the pastor of a small congregation, then another congregation, and he and his wife lived in poverty for a lot of that time. And just because you're poor sometimes doesn't mean that God's not blessing you, that God doesn't have you right in the center of his will. Remember, our movement started with a bunch of fishermen, right? And poor people in Galilee, but God was blessing them. Those were the people he was going to use in, in the world, that scraggly little bunch there. And William Carey said this about his life. He said, I just kept plodding along. He described his life once in the way. He says, I can plod. That is, I can keep taking another step and working hard at it. And he never stopped because he had this vision of what God wanted to do in his life. One day, another pastor, Andrew Fuller, visited Carey. He went into his workshop. And over a trough full of leather that he made shoes with and the tools, there was this huge map that he had made, a homemade map. He had pasted pieces of paper together, a world map. And he had countries on there. And by each one, he had the population, the religion that was predominant, other facts about every country written in Carey's hand. You see, William Carey saw that those nations were nations full of souls that needed Christ because they were living in darkness and they were on their way to hell if they didn't come to know Christ. And so the world was decaying and dark, and William Carey desired to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. He embraced that vision. All of us must embrace that vision every day in our lives, and in every season of life, every change of life, you need to back up and say, all right, how does the vision work here, Jesus? Salt of the earth, light of the world. Then secondly, we see this about William Carey, that he teaches us that we must live by faith to fulfill what God intends for our lives. And he was a man who lived by faith to fulfill that. 
And for William Carey, that meant leaving everything of the world he knew behind to relocate to India. You know, God does not necessarily call all of us to international missions in the same way as a way of life. But he does call every one of us to ministry and service, to being salt and light. And as we go through life, we must learn to trust God to take the risk He leads us to take to accomplish what He desires. If we're going to fulfill that vision, we must have faith and be willing to take risk in life as God's people. That's what faith means. Trust and trust enough to step out on faith and take risk so that I can fulfill what Jesus wants for my life to use me ultimately to be His salt and His light in the world. And so, for Kerry, he became more and more burdened that for him, he had to leave and again move to India. And he got some strong opposition when he wanted to go to India. He wanted to go be a missionary to India. And all the pagans in England, they were really upset about that. No, there weren't that many pagans. Who got upset about that was the church, other Baptists. And they said to him, you know, a young man, if God wants to win the heathen, he'll raise people up to win them. Who do you think you are? And basically they said in their mind, you know, the mission was kind of completed in the life of the early church and the apostles, so you don't need to go. And he wrote a whole thing called an inquiry about missions in the world, and they formed a missionary society ultimately. And he went against the opposition of the opposing voices to follow God's will. You know, in their minds... He didn't need to go, but he rejected their voice, and he refuted that view. And Carrie's most famous motto for life became this, and it's a very famous motto. Maybe you should write it down and remember it. Here's William Carey's motto. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Can you say that with me? Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And you know, God has a plan for all of our lives down to the end to be salt and light. For some of you, that may mean that you live that out here. For others, it may mean moving somewhere else. And that somewhere else God pledged you is to be the place where you start spreading salt and shining light. Again, it may be starting school in a new town, moving to a new job to begin a new career. It may be relocating in retirement. Moving back to your aging parents to help support them and take care of them. It may be, mean leaving the comfort of where you've grown up to move with a job offer or an opportunity. But have the faith to embrace those things to say, God may be leading me here to be salt and light in this part of the world. It's different. And I've grown up in a community, and I grew up in a community like that. I was really the first one to ever leave. And you may be, you know, 25 generations deep here. But God may be stirring your heart to say, I'm plucking you up to send you somewhere else to pour out your life for me. And it may not be as a missionary or a pastor or an evangelist. It may be in a job He sends you to in your life. So always have faith to take risk for the Lord as you pray for Him to put you in the right places in life at the right times in life to have the greatest influence for the kingdom. 
So that may be staying where you are, but we have a big world. And we all can't stay in our comfortable, cozy surroundings to accomplish His great purposes for our lives. But even if you do stay where you are, you must always be asking God, is there something more that I need to be doing right where I am, where I grew up? And sometimes when you grow up in a place, you get settled and it's hard to see. Right? Hard to see beyond just the normal things you've, you've, you've lived with and known. But maybe it's time, if you're staying here, for you to say, what is, a, what is the fresh perspective Jesus wants me to have and how I can be salt and light here in Anderson? Then have faith to act upon it. And then as you go through life, third thing I want to say as I wrap up is you must persevere in this call to be salt and life. You must persevere if you're going to have an impact to be salt and light. Because I want you to know there's going to be some obstacles, disappointments, heartaches, difficulties that's going to crop up in your life. Life has its shares of ups and downs, victories and setbacks, even heartaches, but we must persevere. So for Carrie, his journey led him to move with his family to India. They took a ship and it stopped in England because the captain said, it's illegal for me to take you on into India. So they had to wait a while till a Dutch captain would take them into India. And so they went in somewhat illegally because the company that ran India did not want missionaries there to interfere with their money making. But Carrie went anyway because you and I have a higher calling in this area than the law of the land. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the peoples. And he says, all authority has been given to him on heaven and in, on earth and in heaven. And so he commands us to go to be salt and light. So they snuck into India and in Calcutta. He had to relocate not too long after that because of some non-Baptist missionaries causing difficulty. Sometimes there would be other Christians causing you difficulty. He ended up settling in Serampore. And again, trust God with the turns of life. And so... In Serampore, life got tough in those first seven years. You may go through seasons of life when things get tough, and it may be tough for a while. But you've got to trust he's in control, trust God with a turn. So he ended up having to manage an indigo plant for a number of years to help support his work. During these early days, his son Peter, seven years old, died with dysentery. And that broke the mind and heart of his wife, Dorothy. She broke down mentally after that, never recovered. And in her fits of rage, she would accuse him of adultery, chase him with a knife, and she had other outbursts. He kept her in the home rather than committing her to an institution. And so the kids had to see her outburst. But he loved her and kept her there and ministered to her through her rages. He worked to share the gospel with people. This is a shoemaker, had been a pastor, moved to a new nation. He doesn't have a church in the beginning. So he starts trying to lead somebody to Jesus. And it took him seven years before the first person bowed their knee to Christ. And his name was Krishna Powell. He led him to Jesus. But think about that. Seven years, you lose your son, your wife loses her mind, you're trying to supply your needs through this indigo plant. So we see him living as salt. We see him sharing light. 
As he continued to live in India, he became disgusted and horrified when he became aware of and witnessed the burning alive of, of the widows of men who would die in India. They would put their wives on their funeral pyres, and as they burned the dead bodies, they would burn them alive, their wives, their widows. Practice called sati. That moved his heart, and from that point, he labored to have that abolished in law in India with infanticide and also assisted suicide. And in time, the law of India, that huge nation, would change and outlaw that practice because of the influence of William Carey and some others. That salt. He devoted himself also to education and Bible translation. And he had to endure more hardship. 1812, a fire came, wept out, uh, wiped out all the printing presses of the mission, but he kept working. He built a paper mill to support the effort. And to summarize and wrap this up, he stayed 41 years of his life in India. He never went back to England. He died in India. He never left. So this man who did not go through school beyond 12 years of age, but he began to he came to Christ, began to listen to the Lord, and began to think about this mission God had given unto him and this gift God gave him for languages. He ended up translating the Bible into 42 languages, making the Bible accessible to one-third of the world at that time. His press issued 212,000 copies of the Scriptures. He wrote grammars and dictionaries for six major Indian languages. 30 years he taught at Crow College, teaching... Uh, Sanskrit and other languages there. He established in 1810 Serampore College, and I think we have a picture of that. It's still in existence today to train Christian leaders. He planted 20 churches. And he also personally kept up his interest in plants. <laughs> he loved plants in the outdoors, so he had a beautiful gardens, and he would go and work in his gardens to get his mind ready for the ministry that he had to do each day. You know, we never know where a day or a year or five years will take us. We never know the twists and turns of this life. But our faith teaches us these things. Make sure that you, first of all, have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all of your sins and the gift of eternal life. And as the guys were singing, that all my sins are forgiven, washed by the blood. Have you truly come to Jesus as you are? And ask Him to forgive you and give you power to live the way He wants you to live and to find who you are in Christ. And the identity He has for your life. Then as you come to Him, seek to grow in the Lord and in His Word. Begin to embrace this vision. You are salt. You are light. Can you just say that to yourself every day? I am the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. And seek to live that out, whether you stay in the town you grew up in or wherever God leads you. Be salt and light where you are. Work to make life better and stand for what is right, just, just, beautiful, and true. And share the gospel with everybody that you can. If God relocates some of you up into um, northwest Idaho, into some little village where the only thing there is a Mormon church, well, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to show up and say, well, you know, I'm here working for this uh, defense firm or whatever, but I'm called to be salt and light. 
So I'm going to go out and try to find my Krishna pal, lead somebody to Jesus, and I'm going to plant a church. I mean, I'm not a pastor, but I'm going to help plant a church, and then we're going to call somebody here eventually to lead us as a pastor because we're called to be salt and light. So if no church exists, plant one. If there is one that believes the Bible, get involved in it. Trust God with the turns of life. They will come. Persevere through your trials because they're coming too. And if you're going to really live for Christ in this generation, you're going to get more pushback, blowback, persecution. Some of you may have to change careers because of the ethics that you hold are not going to be recognized in the career you choose. But complete the mission, the plan of God for your life. It doesn't matter if your vocation is not in public ministry. We all have a ministry to give ourselves to the great things of God, to be His salt and to be His light. One other famous quote of Carrie, and I'm done, was this one. And I think this is a good one as well on a day of transition. But William Carey said this. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. He said, I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And you know, that's how we're to live our lives. We want to succeed at the things that matter. Father, we thank you for this day. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we have heard more today about what we believe in relationship to the social order, the people around us, the mission we have in the world. You called us to be your salt and your light. And Father, I pray for each one, all of our graduates, everyone in this room, everybody watching online, that you help us each day to embrace anew that vision, and particularly as we go through seasonal changes in life, to ask afresh, how can I be salt and light where I am right now? Give us faith, Lord, to believe you for great things and to attempt great things for you. And Lord, help us to persevere. And to trust you, Lord, when life gets hard, when obstacles are there, that you are in control, and that you love us, you have called us, you have a plan for us, and Father, you want to use us. No matter what field we are working in, you want to use us. There is your salt and your light. And so I pray, Father, you would help us to persevere in spite of all difficulties, and persevere with hope and joy because we know you are going to use us to be your salt and your light, even as Carrie believed on some hard days that you had sent him there and you had a plan for him and he kept at it until you raised up 700 Christians around him, 20 plus churches, and a great legacy of ministry. We pray now, Lord, if there are those who need to trust you today as we sing, that they would truly give their lives to you and let someone know that or take next steps to follow you in baptism or unite with this church or just have someone pray for them as they're going through transition, Lord, in their lives that um, we can help together find how you want them to be your salt and your light in this season. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.
do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Our offering. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this challenge on our lives that we will go out into our community, to our workplaces, to our friends, and we will be salt and light. So, Father, continue to move in us after this service as we go into this week. Father, we thank you for the sacrificial giving. We thank you for those that give their tithes and offerings to further the work of the kingdom. And God, we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
gives me joy this morning to present uh, four to you. Uh, this is Mark and Heather Brannon. And they finished our membership class and heard their testimony of how they've come to know Jesus. And they come wishing to unite with us by transfer of their membership from another local church. Uh, they own Palmetto Screen Printing here in town. Did our t-shirts for the picnic yesterday, right? So if you can receive them today and how they're being presented, would you let that be known by saying amen? And then we have Thompson and McLean. Thompson's fourth grade at Townville Elementary, and uh, McLean is at second grade at Townville Elementary. And these guys have both trusted Christ as their Savior, and they're wanting to take next steps and begin the process of baptism. And so they come today taking those steps. So if you can receive them today as they prepare for baptism into the life of our church, would you let that be known as well by saying amen? amen. Hope you'll come by and welcome these folks into our fellowship, and I uh, hope you have a great luncheon. You are staying in the gym with your uh, graduates. God bless you, and you are dismissed.